We're at Matthew 21. And we've titled today's message, The Fulfillment. The Fulfillment. Because on Palm Sunday, Jesus was approaching Jerusalem as the fulfillment of prophecy. And he was manifesting himself to be the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. And as we read on Matthew chapter 21, we're going to go over the first few 12 verses of Scripture this morning. But the title of the message, not only is it the fulfillment, but in it we can see that Jesus comes as a triumphant king or the triumphant entry that we know it as. Triumphant. And in order to be able to call it a triumphant entry, we have to recognize and realize what does triumphant mean. You see, the word triumphant, if you want to write this in your Bible this morning on Palm Sunday, means victorious. The victorious entry. Because that's exactly what Jesus came as a king with a victorious grand entrance into Jerusalem as a king that would offer peace. You see, it was this week, Passion Week, the last week of the ministry of Jesus that changed the world. And that's exactly why we slow down and observe the events that took place. Because if this week would have not taken place, the most important week of human history, because it affected the eternity of our lives forever. And it really met our need. It met our need when it came to sin. It met our need when it came to bondage to sin. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem as the triumphant Christ. As the victorious Christ. Victorious over our lives. Victorious over our time. Victorious over every space. Over every place of our life. Victorious over sin. Victorious over death. Victorious over the grave. And that's exactly why on Palm Sunday he came in as the king. Did you know that we all have something in common? In fact, we have something in common with everyone. And that's that we all need a king. And that we all need a lamb. And Jesus came as a king. Today on Palm Sunday, we know that He manifested Himself as a King. And on Good Friday, we see that He demonstrated that He was the Lamb. The perfect sacrifice that was here to pay the price for our sins. If we study the Gospels, we recognize and we see that Jesus told His disciples that it was time for Him to go into Jerusalem. And to celebrate the Passover at Jerusalem. This was a Jewish feast. That now commemorated that all Jewish people, it would say that over 2 million almost, would migrate from different places uh, into Jerusalem to offer now a sacrifice for their sins once a year and to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. In fact, it said that they also had a meal. And in this meal that they would remember the Passover of the Old Testament. What is the Passover of the Old Testament? They were celebrating the freedom of the Jewish people. They were celebrating the freedom of the nation of Israel from being delivered of bondage for 400 years under Egypt. And the Passover displayed that the angel of the Lord would pass over the homes of the nation of Israel who had now killed and slaughtered a lamb and placed the blood on the doorposts now of that house. 
that the angel of the Lord would pass over and the wrath of God would not enter that home. Do you see how this is so important for us to understand that we're celebrating the freedom from the bondage of sin here beginning on Palm Sunday? But it needed to be a perfect lamb. It could not be a lamb that was deformed. It could not be a lamb that was sick. It could not be a lamb that that had some kind of defect. It had to be a perfect lamb that would be killed now. And its blood would be spilled that it would experience the wrath and the judgment in place of our sins. And the reason why we say that is because Jesus would become our New Testament Passover. Because Jesus was the perfect lamb that would die and be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And that's exactly why we study this portion in this text. That he was the ultimate sacrifice. That he was the ultimate deliverance for us. He was our greatest and our permanent Passover. It was Jesus. That we don't have to go once a year and sacrifice for our sins and kill a perfect lamb. Because in John, what did we learn? In John chapter 129, when John the Baptist comes and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that lamb. And because Jesus was that lamb, he stood in the place of, our ju- of the judgment of our sins, of the wrath of God, so that we can experience the Passover. So that we can experience now deliverance and freedom from a life of sin. It was his love. It was his blood that served now. The judgment of sins. And he now became the substitute for us. That we are now covered by His blood now from the punishment of our sins. Do you notice that? That He passed over your sins. Not only did He pass over your sins, but the reason why He passed over your sins because that blood was on the doorpost. And the greatest blood that we need on the doorpost of our hearts today is the blood of Jesus Christ that would be spilled on the cross on the hearts of our door, on the doorpost of our hearts. And just imagine that. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. But with, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. You see, blood had to be spilled and it was the blood of Jesus. The only blood of Jesus, the blood that only matters now, that paved the way to the cross. And Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem now. With a focus now to the cross. Yes, he's going to go to heaven, but first he has to go through the cross. Just like us, we have the promise of heaven, but first we have to go through the cross. We have to go through denial of self. We have to carry our cross as we meet the Lord one day in heaven. So why don't we pray this Palm Sunday as we go into God's Word in Matthew chapter 21 and study here what it looks like the triumphant, victorious Christ entering Jerusalem for the deliverance of our sins. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus. We thank You, Lord, because the people in the nation of Israel were desperate for an answer. They were desperate for hope. They were desperate for healing, Lord. Just like we are desperate for an answer, for hope, for healing, God. Just the same way that we're looking forward for deliverance, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you would be our permanent Passover. 
That we would realize, God, that the ultimate healing we receive from you, Jesus. And Lord, as, as fear is taking over the homes and the hearts of people, God, that we would have hope. That we would have hope of a king that is coming to give us peace. Because that's exactly how you entered, Lord, now. On, on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. You came to offer us peace. And today we want to receive that peace this morning. I pray for anyone that's listening right now, Lord, that maybe doesn't have the peace that you as a king who offers peace gives to us, that we would receive it today in Jesus' name. And together we said, from our homes, amen. So we go to Matthew chapter 21, and Jesus is going into Jerusalem. It says this, verse 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples and saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. I want you to underline that in your Bible. The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, notice this, to you. Lowly and sitting on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had commanded them. Now, this is important to realize that up until this point, Jesus was not accepting public worship. If we remember the different miracles that Jesus did in, in certain occasions, He went and told people to, to be silent, to tell no one. And He, he went away from the crowds and, he, and he, he wanted to maintain a low profile when it came to receiving the public worship. But it was at God's perfect time, the fulfillment of prophecy was to take place and He, would to, he was to manifest Himself here during the Passover feast to the nation of Israel, to all of the Jews, that He was the Messiah that they were waiting for. Now I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? Are we waiting for someone to give us permission to leave our homes so that we can have peace? Are we waiting for someone to tell us that we have found an answer to the questions that everyone has so that we can have peace? Because the nation of Israel was waiting for answers. They were desperate for hope. They were searching now and waiting for the Messiah that they had longed for and read about in the Old Testament and in the prophecies. And they were looking for Him, yet He was here ready to manifest Himself. And in a specific time, because everything was in God's due time, and the Son of Man, Christ, Jesus was submitted to the timing of the Father. And he tells the disciples, Now I want you to go as they're drawing near. And he sent two disciples to go into Jerusalem and to look for a donkey. As many people are migrating into Jerusalem, he sends two. And I love Jesus' style. We have to admire it because it says two disciples. You notice how every time Jesus sends someone, he sends them by two. And it encourages us even in this time that we should not isolate ourselves from fellowship, from fellowship. 
Jesus sent disciples to go together for accountability. He delegated them. He said, I want you to serve together. I want you to do ministry together. I want you to know what it's like to be side by side going out and doing the work of the Lord. This is the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry takes place with accountability. But when disciples come together... When you and I, when the church comes together to meet now, the human needs now as divine channels and resources for the glory of God. Warren Worsby said it like this, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. Now, what are the divine resources that God is providing? He's providing many divine resources for us right now. The divine resource of providing now for this place even in where we're not meeting in it so, so much so, but He's still providing. The divine resource of us understanding that our needs are still being met even in the situation and the circumstance that we find ourselves in, but the divine resource that meets human needs, that meets our needs through loving channels. The disciples here were loving channels for the glory of God. Have you made yourself to be a loving channel? Where he's saying, I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm going to come and I'm be together. So he sends them. And look what he says here. He sent two disciples. I love this because Jesus loves to send. <laughs> and I want to ask you, where is he sending you today? He sends them where? He sends them into the village opposite of them. And, and he tells them something specifically. He sends them and he says, go into. Go and enter now. And that's what he's telling us today. I want you to go and I want you to enter that place because I, I want you to usher and make it ready for me to show up, for me to be present. Well, isn't it amazing that we get to prepare the way of our Lord just like John the Baptist did, just like these disciples did, that they would go and then they entered this Palm Sunday to prepare now for the fulfillment of prophecy to take place. Now let's go into it, the story. Go into the village opposite of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Immediately, just Jesus had this, this plan now that maybe the disciples didn't know anything about. And it says, I want you to go to Jerusalem with over 2 million people walking to and fro in and out of that city. And as he's saying, I want you to go. And as, as soon as you go, you're going to find a donkey. And these disciples are maybe thinking to themselves, well, are you, how is it that we're going to find this donkey? Where is it going to be? You're going to find a donkey, not only a donkey, but also a little colt with a mother donkey there. And the little colt's going to be with, with the, the, the donkey. And it says, and I want you to loose them. And I want you to bring them to me. Bring them both to me. I want you to untie them. I want you to loose them from whatever they're tied to. And I want you to bring them to me. Why? Because the donkey and the colt would be used as an instrument to, for Jesus to ride on. As a means of transportation. As a vehicle for Jesus to ride on into the procession into Jerusalem. And this might have not made sense to the disciples. But, it, but for us, our responsibility is that when Jesus says go, we must obey. And we must obey even when it doesn't make sense on how God's going to show you all the particulars. We must still obey because God has resources. God has a plan that you don't know anything about. And not everything that, that maybe looks good or that, 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 that is, uh, appears good, right, is, is valuable. For example, for them, they said, why are we going to go look for a donkey? Come on, Jesus, can we look for something better? <laughs> but it was something so humble, something so simple. 
but something that had a lot of value. Do you see how Jesus comes to teach us that we ought to offer Him every time, every talent, every resource that we possibly have, even the simplest things, so that we can use them as a tool to take Jesus to where He needs to go? How have we used the resources that He has given us to take Jesus into Jerusalem, into the city? Now let's read verse 3 because it says here, And if anyone asks anything or says anything or objects or gives you a reason or excuse to keep them back or says, What are you doing with my donkeys? Look what it says. You shall say to them, The Lord has need of them and immediately He will send them. Now when I was reading it and I've read this story many times just like many of you, it really caught my attention this time that the Lord says, Just say the Lord has need of it and immediately they will let the donkeys go. <laughs> He said, if anyone gives you a reason or excuse to keep them back or say, you know what, I can't give this over to Jesus. Just tell them the Lord has need of it and immediately they're going to let go of them. Because the Lord has need of them, those words, the Lord has need of them should be enough for us and it was enough for them that day. Just think about the master of the owner of these donkeys. For him, for that owner, for that master of those donkeys, hearing the words, the Lord has need of them, was enough for him to let go of those donkeys in service for Christ. You see, that, that those words should be not only sufficient for us, but those words should make us available immediately to his service. Those words should make us available immediate to his purpose because nothing is more important than the words of our Lord saying, the Lord has need of it. Give me that. I need that. It's going to be used as a resource for ministry. What is more important to us than this? What can possibly be more important than the words of God saying the Lord has need of it? And when the Lord says, I have need of your life, I have need of your schedule, I have need of your resources, then it is our responsibility at that point to say, Lord, I open my schedule. I am loosed from secondary commitments to follow what's primary and because I want to be a part of this. There are times in our life where we are not loosed. We have to be unloosed, untied from that secondary commitment so that we can follow the Lord as primary. Because He's about to take us into this pathway of victory now. On Palm Sunday, if you allow Him to say, Lord, I'm going to be untied from everything. I'm letting go of all commitments because I want to go with you, Lord. You see, the, the reason why it was victorious here, it was because Jesus was about to do something that would mark history and prophecy here in this next verse. And it says, verse 4, And it was done here, and if anyone says anything to you, verse 3, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, immediately will send to them to you. And in verse 4, this is where the fulfillment of prophecy comes. And all this was done. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't because Jesus couldn't just didn't want to just walk or because Jesus was tired. But all this was for a purpose, for a greater purpose. This was all done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying. Now notice, these were prophecies from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 500 years earlier. Prophecies are now being fulfilled 500 years later. It tells us this. Tell the daughter, verse 5, of Zion, or tell Jerusalem now. Here, this is what it says in verse 5. Behold, look, the king that you've been waiting for is coming. And this prophecy would be a prophecy that would give evidence. 
This is a prophecy that would give now validation. This is a prophecy that would give now proof that Jesus was the king that they were waiting for. Because of the entrance. Because of the form. Because of the style, the method that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. Look what it said. Tell the daughter of Zion or tell the nation of Israel. Tell Jerusalem now. Behold, your king is coming to you. Notice this. Today the king is coming for you. He's coming to you now. Lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a fowl of a donkey. Now Jesus, as he's coming here and he's giving evidence to the truth of God's word. He's pointing back to God's word and testifying and manifesting, I am the Messiah. You would ask yourself, what is prophecy? If you don't understand really what prophecy is. Well, prophecy is, is God's divine revelation. That he is foretelling now what will take place. The events that will take place. And he's foretelling that to us. He's foretelling that to us through scripture. And he does prophecy for two reasons. He, he gives us prophecy. And I want you to write this down, church. He gives you prophecy. He gives me prophecy for truth. So we would know truth. And he gives us prophecy, number two, for application. Prophecy is for truth. And prophecy is for application. And we can trust these prophecies. Now we know that Jesus is surrendered to the scriptures here. He understands the scriptures. And he knows, I am surrendering my life. I am walking into the plan and the will of God through the prophetic scripture that's already been written of the Messiah. This is so incredible. We know that if we study the entire Bible, 20% of the Bible is prophetic. 20% of the Bible is prophetic. If you read the entire Bible, you will know that 20% of what's in the Bible is prophetic. That means one out of every four verses is prophecy. <laughs> And here Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. We can trust it. It is not an accident. It's not a coincidence now. Jesus was one that was fulfilling prophecy. There was a mathematician professor that at a university decided to say, what are the odds of one person fulfilling eight different prophecies? <laughs> And in order to calculate those odds, he wanted to calculate what is it that one single person would fulfill just eight prophecies in their lifetime. He calculated that it would be one out of ten to the 17th power. <laughs> one out of ten to the 17th power that one person would fulfill eight prophecies in their life. Just eight. Now notice Jesus fulfilled over 300 in his life. That would now prove and give evidence from the Old Testament all the way to the New. That he was the Messiah. That we can trust it was Jesus. He wasn't just a prophet. He just wasn't a teacher. He was the Messiah. And scripture validates the truth about Jesus here. The reason why we want to pause and talk about this so much is that we can trust it. Because if we do not believe, if we cannot trust prophecy, that we cannot trust the truth about who Jesus is. But here we can trust the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9, it tells us that Jesus would come in a simple, in a grand entrance, in a very humble way. And it says, behold, your king is coming to who? To you. Every king has a kingdom. And the kingdom that Jesus was coming into was signifying that his kingdom was a spiritual one. And the spiritual king. Everyone needs a spiritual king because we will either be, be serving the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. 
And a lot of people say, well, I don't want someone ruling over my life. Well, someone is automatically ruling your life if you're not following the Lord. And that's the enemy. That's the world. <laughs> what kingdom are you serving? Notice that Jesus came to be offer His kingdom, not only His kingdom, to offer now Himself as a king who now gives and is offering peace. Because it tells us here He's coming to you lowly. He's not coming as a king that wants to uh, rule by fear or by force. He's coming as a king that demonstrates, number one, lowliness. What does that mean? It means humility. He's coming in a humble and grand entrance. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. And he's coming very humbly. That's the way the Messiah was to come. He wasn't going to come in a, with, a, with a huge uh, parade of an army and soldiers that were going to be following. No, he's gonna, he was going to come in a very humble way. And it tells us here the prophecy, look, your king is coming to you. But when does a king ever come to you? <laughs> Usually the people go to the king. It's interesting to know that Jesus the king came to the people to serve them now and to meet their need in a very humble way. He came to meet your need to save you from our sins, from our greatest need. That's why it's important to realize that His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. He is a humble king riding on a donkey. Now I love it that He was coming in such a humble way. Because it talks about the nature of Jesus. In the New Living Translation it says this, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's coming to you. And he's going to come to you in a very humble way. He's riding on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey's colt. That's what the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. We learn this about how Jesus' nature is. It says, And being, for, being found in an appearance as of man, God became man. He humbled himself. Do you start to notice the pattern here that throughout the entire Bible, we know that Jesus would have come as a humble servant, as a humble king to serve us. And he became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Why? Because humility, and I want you to get this please church, on this very Palm Sunday, humility is the pathway to victory. Humility is the pathway to victory. And that's exactly why Jesus here in this form, in this display, he is demonstrating, I am the Messiah that you're waiting for. He's not coming on a horse. You see, a horse would symbolize that he was coming for war. A horse would symbolize that he was taking over Jerusalem and he was going to establish his earthly kingdom and he would come. No, he's going to come on a horse and his second coming and the church would come with him on horses. But I want you to understand something. He came once as a servant king. Here, Palm Sunday, he's coming on a donkey as a servant king to save. And he's coming again. And we will be coming again with him. Riding on horses when he will be displaying himself as the conquering king to judge. Jesus came. Not only to be a servant king to save, but he also came and he also will come again with the church as a conquering king to judge. Do you notice the nature of Jesus, how he came? That's why he's offering peace here. That's exactly why he's offering peace. Because he's coming in this form of, of humility and humility always demonstrates service. It demonstrates peace. And notice what it says on the fell of a donkey in such 
in obedient way. Verse 6. So the disciples went. I noticed their, their obedience. That they didn't question Jesus. They went. And they did as Jesus commanded them. <laughs> How much would we be used by the Lord if we just paid attention to verse 6? So the disciples went. And they did as Jesus commanded them. The disciples had a responsibility and you have a responsibility as well. You have a responsibility to receive God's word. And if you're listening to this message, you have a responsibility now. You're held accountable. You cannot get away with it. <laughs> because we're hearing God's word right now. And as they heard his command, look what it says. They, they did what Jesus commanded them. They trusted the plan of God. I want to ask you today, do you trust the plan of God? Do you trust what he's orchestrating behind the scenes that maybe the disciples had no idea about? They, they didn't know that, that they were in the middle of prophecy becoming fulfilled now. And they said that they did and they trusted what the Lord had commanded and they were not doubters, they were doers. <laughs> are you a doubter today in the plan of God or are you a doer and you want to be a part of that plan? There are times that the Lord says, this is the plan that I have for your life. And instead of doing and the commandment and obeying that plan, we doubt that plan. Be not a doubter today. I pray that you would be a doer because it says that they brought the donkey, verse 7, and the colt, and they laid the clothes on them and set him, Jesus, on them. So now Jesus is, is about to enter Jerusalem. And then there is a specific thing that takes place here because there is a reception. There's a hospitality that takes place. If you ever know someone that's very important, maybe the president or, or a, a nation's leader that walks into a room or goes into a city, there's a, a procession that follows. And that's exactly what was taking place. There was a royal procession that was taking place for Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah that was fulfilling prophecy. Look at the reaction. I want to ask you, what kind of hospitality, what kind of reception are you giving Christ into your home right now? Into your life right now? Because it says here that in verse 8, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. People were cutting down the branches. They were spreading their clothes on the road. They had opened the roads up, and Jesus was the center of the roads that day. Have you noticed that? Look at the picture that is being painted for us here when it comes to Palm Sunday. Now they were offering the palms and they were offering the clothes. They opened a procession here with the clothes and the palms. This was a now sign now or this signified, this represented now the people receiving a king. This was a sign of recognition. This was a sign of loyalty to that king. This was a sign of success. This was a sign of victory. This was the royal red carpet reception, a sign of surrender, a sign of submission to that king. In fact, this was only reserved for kings. Anytime a king came into the city, the people would do something of that manner. And they would open the roads and a great multitude would come and, and they would put those palm branches and they would put their clothes on the road and Jesus was at the center and He was the attention. But it was all the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that they were acknowledging. They were recognizing His kingship. They were recognizing his rulership, his authority, his victory over them. Do you see that Jesus comes humbly now and the people receive it and says, We accept you as our king. We receive you as our king. 
We receive your rulership over us. We, we submit to your authority under you. You are the king. And look what it says. In, and here in this very next verse, verse 9. And the multitude who went before them and those who followed, they cried out or they sang. You can write that. They sang because they were singing a Messianic psalm. Now, I'm going to tell you what that means. Because what it means is that they were singing a psalm that was prophetic. Again, back to prophecy. They were singing a psalm that was reserved now for the Messiah without them even knowing it. And in fact, this was not only a prophetic psalm or, or a messianic psalm or a song that was reserved for a king. But look at what they're shouting here from Psalms 118 verse 26. It says, Hosanna. We sing this song at church. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were singing this psalm and they were singing save now. Hosanna means save now. We pray save us now. We receive your rulership. We submit to your authority. You are the king now. But they were singing the right psalm with the wrong expectation. They were singing the right psalm with the wrong expectation. In fact, this psalm was called a song of a day of deliverance. A day of deliverance. This was a song of deliverance now. Hosanna, save us now. Deliver us now. Oh, we ask that you would deliver us now. A psalm of deliverance now. And they were looking to Jesus for deliverance. And Jesus, that's exactly why he was entering the city for deliverance. But not deliverance. From their earthly circumstance, deliverance from their sins. They were, they were seeing something spiritual, but they were wanting and desiring something temporal. They were seeing something that would mark their lives for eternity, but they wanted something temporal. They wanted something instant versus wanting something eternal. What is it that we want today? Do we want something instant or do we want something eternal? Because their hope was that he would overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. The Roman government had been oppressing the Jewish people for, for a long time at that point. And, and, and exactly what they wanted Jesus for. Lord, ex just extend your rulership, Lord. E establish your kingdom now. Save us from the oppression of Rome. <laughs> Do you see how sometimes we have a preconceived idea of what we think deliverance looks like? What does deliverance mean to you? What does it mean? Because our greatest deliverance is not an earthly, it's not an instant, it's not a temporal deliverance, it's an eternal deliverance. And you notice how when they didn't get what they wanted, they went from Hosanna to crucify. Because their hearts were quick to change. They missed the visit, they missed the purpose, they missed and they failed to discern. They were spiritually blind when it came to the day of visitation. What was the day of visitation? It, it, was, the, it was the day that the Messiah would finally be revealed to now Jerusalem, to the Jewish nation. It was a day where the nation of Israel would finally know this is the day where the Messiah is visiting you now. And they were waiting for the Messiah and they missed what they were waiting for when He arrived. <laughs> Have you ever missed what you've been waiting for when it arrives? And maybe you get a notice, well, you know what? We, we tried looking for you, but you know we missed you or you missed us. 
Well, the, 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 these people were waiting for the Messiah and the day that he shows up as their king offering peace, they missed it. They missed what they were waiting for all along. In Luke chapter 19, when it talks about this story, it says that Jesus, after he entered, he started to weep when he looked at Jerusalem because he said, if you would only have known the day of your visitation, you missed it. I finally came to you and you missed it. You wanted a physical redemption. You wanted me to save you from Rome. A physical redemption from Rome. When what they really needed it was a spiritual redemption from sin. There's a lot of talk today that we need redemption. That we need deliverance. That we need healing. And we can so easily fall into a Hosanna mode. A mode that we want deliverance right now from a temporal thing, a temporal circumstance, a temporal situation. But are our eyes on Jesus for what our greatest need is that He meets? Because the greatest need that Jesus meets for us is not the temporal need, it's the eternal need. And that's why He came, to give us peace. But the peace that we have, knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that He is our New Testament Passover, that He is our King offering us redemption, not from our temporal circumstance, but offering redemption from sin, from our spiritual need. Is He your King today? I want to ask you, is He your King? Now let's go to verse 10. It says, And when He had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? He entered Jerusalem, the city was moved. They're asking, hey, who is it? Who's coming in? What's going on with all this noise? And in fact, the word here moved or the city was moved. And they were saying, I want you to write this in your Bible because it says they were shaken up. <laughs> I love that when Jesus comes in, he shakes things up. When he wants to get your attention, he shakes things up. He's shaking things up right now in our world. We don't understand the plan, but he's shaking things up so the eyes can be on Jesus. And you know what it does when Jesus comes into the Jerusalem of your life? When He comes into the Jerusalem of your life, He comes and He will shake things up. He will, he will shake people out of your life. <laughs> he will shake things out of your life as well because He wants to get the attention. He wants to get your eyes back on what really matters and that's on Him. Now notice this. The crowds replied, Is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth from Galilee? It says here in verse 11. They didn't see him as a savior. They saw him as a prophet now. These crowds that were looking at him from, from a distance. See, they wanted what they really wanted. was was for someone to come establish a kingdom and right now save us. Come on, Lord. Save us today. But their real need was for an eternal salvation. Not from a circumstance. From, but from their eternal state. And, and we see that as Jesus comes in now, he's coming in this donkey. And what does it say? He's offering them peace. It is the king who offers peace. The reason why this is so important because his kingdom was established here. To give his peace with God. And, and he comes now after he's come in. I, I love this because not only did we see here that Jesus is the fulfillment not only do we see through this scripture in, in Matthew 21 that, 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 he, that there is a reception, but also we see that there is a cleansing. In today's scripture, we see the fulfillment, the reception. We saw the reception, Hosanna. But also we see the cleansing. What is the cleansing? This is why Jesus comes to give us peace. What kind of peace does He give us? Peace with God. The peace that we've been missing. The peace that was now needed to be restored now. And He comes in for the cleansing now. 
How many of us here know, even right now in your home with your family, you know that we need cleansing? This Palm Sunday, that's what we need. It says in verse 12, Then Jesus went into the temple of God. Who's the temple of God today? We're the temple of God. And he went there to turn things over. To overthrow now religion. To overthrow now the efforts of, of everything that man once did. To make themselves right with God. And establish now a new way and introduce himself as the only way of righteousness or being right with God. He overthrew religion. He overturned man's efforts and everything that they were trying. And in fact, it says he went into the temple of God. Today, the temple of God is the church. And that's how he's coming into our lives. He's entering to overthrow, overthrow everything that doesn't belong as the king with authority. Notice this. We want a king but our king is ready to exercise authority in our lives. There are some times where we don't want the king. We just want the lamb. Lord, forgive us of my sins, but we don't want the king. <laughs> no, we need the lamb and we need the king. And look what he tells us, what it says here in verse 12. It says, And he went into the temple of God and he drove out, underlined, drove out as the king with authority, casting out, driving out all those who bought and sold in the temple. Not only did he drive out, he also overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. It was saying that back then, if you couldn't afford a lamb at the Passover, that you would buy two little turtle doves. It was a sign of poverty. You couldn't afford the lamb, so you would go to the doves. And that what these people would do at the temple is they would mark up the prices of the animals and they would make money off the people that would go in to try to become right with God. A man's effort of becoming right with God through an animal sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that people were being ripped off by the other religious leaders, He went and He overturned religion. He overturned the tables. Every one of men's efforts that made you, them right with God, all the hypocrisy, all the injustice, He overturned it and He replaced it with Himself. And they went from religion now to righteousness or to relationship that Jesus was instituting. And how did He institute this? By driving away everything, by driving away anything that corrupted the temple, that contaminated the temple, that polluted the temple to purity and holiness of the temple of God. This is what peace also looks like. Peace also looks like God removing everything from your life. I think there's a lot of times where we think, Lord, I want you to be the king that gives me peace. But this is what it looks like. Jesus being the king that offers peace looks like him cleaning up the house. And I pray that that's what he would do today. He would clean up the house. He would drive away, overturn anything that contaminated or corrupted the purity and the holiness of your life as well. Because triumphant or triumphal entry means Jesus entering also to purify, to claim victory over the temple. <laughs> victory over your life. Over every area of your life. This was the ministry of cleansing in our lives. We had to pray, Lord, enter and cleanse as the conquering king, as the king who offers peace. Enter and cleanse everything because judgment began here at the house of God. And God hated here what was taking place and His Son manifested that righteous anger. And He says, you do not use the temple for a selfish, for ulterior motives. Don't make it about something it's not. Do you see how the cleansing here happens? What's interesting to know about this is that Jesus in, in, in John chapter 2, verse 13, in John chapter 2, verse 13, all the way to verse 22, Jesus had already gone into the temple and done this very thing. <laughs> he already had cleansed the temple once. 
What does this teach us about? This is the second time that Jesus does something like this, so radical. What this tells us is that Jesus is called to come into our lives, and this is an ongoing process of cleaning the temple. He does it, and then he does it again, and he does it again. This is an ongoing process. Lord, clean the temple. Clean my life. I'm called the temple of God. You're called the temple of God. Anything that is defining it, defiling what was intended to be pure and holy, he is removing it. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? I think there's an important aspect of our lives where we have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus undo? What would he undo in my life as a king who offers peace? What does Jesus need to overturn or what does Jesus need to drive out? Verse 13, look what it says. It says, and he said to them, it is written. He goes back to scripture. My house shall be called a house of prayer, not of sales, not of media, not of entertainment, not even of fellowship, but you have made it a den of thieves. He came to offer peace as a king and established prayer in the house of God. There's nothing more peaceful than establishing prayer in your house. There's nothing more that says this is Palm Sunday than when we're praying as a family and then when we're praying as a church. He comes out to drive out and to dictate now and say the authority and the Word of God and all the authority belongs to the Word of God. He, he, he drives out and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, a house of fellowship, a house of communion now. And you turn it into a den of thieves. You turn the house of God into something that it's not about. You've turned Resurrection Sunday and Passion Week about something that it has nothing to do with it. And in fact, a den is somewhere where thieves hide out at. <laughs> and he said, you turn it into something else. And look what he says, when he drove them out, this is, this is the work at hand, verse 14, then... You see what happens when before the, it says the word then? It means, that, it means that the cleansing had to happen so that then this verse 14 can take place. Then it says here, verse 14, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Well, isn't this amazing that when Jesus made room for prayer, he was making room for ministry? When Jesus made room for prayer, he was making room now and overturning all the sin that was taking place there to create space now, create space here now for healing and for restoration and for life change. You want your life to be changed? You want healing? A lot of people talk about healing today, but I, 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 as wise as we've become, as precautious as we've become, as sensitive as we've become, are we also looking, are we also thirsty, are we also longing with that same desperate now approach to look for the healing that Jesus offers here on Palm Sunday? Because it talks about a healing, a healing that we can only find. We could only find this healing in Jesus. And it said that even those that are blind and lame, they came to the temple and healed him. He started to meet their even physical needs. Do you see that there in verse 14? I think there's times where we want restoration, but we don't want Jesus to cleanse the house. We want restoration, but we don't want surrender. If we want healing, everybody wants healing. We want to talk about healing. If we want healing, we must be willing to say, Lord, come in this Palm Sunday and clean up the church, clean up the house, clean up this bedroom, clean up this living room, because we desire healing as a nation, as a state, even as a world right now. We want the healing of verse 14, but we don't want the cleansing of verse 12. 
And today I pray that we would say, Lord, we welcome you, that you would come and give us the cleansing so that we can receive the restoration. That we would make room for prayer, that we would make room for Jesus, that we would make room for real ministry. So that you can deal with all our needs and deal with our number one need is sin. Cleanse us from sin, Lord, and heal us of pain. Cleanse us of sin and heal us from pain. Here Jesus is claiming victory. He's claiming cleansing. He is promoting the prayer in the house of God. Healing as well. I'm going to leave you with Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It speaks about the fulfillment of Jesus. In fact, in Romans 5, 1, it says this, Therefore, having justified, justified means that now we are right with God. Having been justified, Jesus came on Palm Sunday to work on our justification. You are just as if you've never sinned. God looks at you, but before He looks at you, He looks at you through the lens of Palm Sunday, through the lens of Gethsemane, through the lens of now uh, Golgotha and Calvary and the cross, and He's looking at you like just as you've never sinned because you're forgiven, it says here. Romans 5.1, by faith, by trusting in God, we have, here's the word, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. The peace that Jesus offers today on Palm Sunday. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're listening to this message and you want peace with God. You want the peace that this king offers you, this kingdom, this spiritual kingdom that Jesus came let us not make the mistake that we want to say, Lord, I, I, I'm willing to follow you if you give me everything. You establish what I want now. But let's say, Lord, I'm willing to surrender to you because I know that your kingdom is a spiritual one. And I understand that one day, that you did come one day riding on a colt, riding on a donkey is a symbol of peace. But one day the Lord, I want you to know this, one day the Lord is going to come on a horse to judge. He came once in peace, but he'll come again to judge. Judge the world of sin. Are you ready so that when he comes to judge, you're coming with him? The Bible talks about the second coming. And I pray that we would have all asked the Lord to come into our hearts, to cleanse our hearts, to forgive us of our sins, and to give us that peace that we so desperately need, and that we also experience the healing from him. But they would not happen without cleansing. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. On Palm Sunday Church, that God would do the cleansing work that He needs to do, and that we would experience the peace so that we can say, Hosanna, save us now, we pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would do a work in our lives, God. Thank you, Lord, this Palm Sunday. We praise you, Lord, because you came riding on that donkey, Lord. You came as a symbol of peace, God. You came, Lord, as a conquering king to offer us peace, to offer us victory over sin and over death, Lord, to give us the peace that we needed, Lord. From the oppression, not so much of the earthly circumstance, but from the oppression and the bondage of sin, you came to offer peace, Lord. And I thank you that you rode in obedience, you rode in humility. We thank you that humility is the pathway to victory, that you were on your way to the cross. I pray that today we would, we would go to the cross because that's where we find the peace. And that not only do we, we, would we want the lamb, but that also we would want the king. Lord, we receive you as king. Rule over our lives, God. Rule over our lives, Lord. We're focused on you. In Jesus' name.
And together we said, Amen. God bless you, church, this Sunday.